best not miss. Well, I'm a bunch of real proud laying motherfucker, motherfucker. Welcome to the party, pal, the mind-bending film and television podcast you didn't know you needed. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Shields, here with, I uh, almost messed up my own name there, with Mitch Lucas. How you doing, Mitch? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is a good, this is a big change here, so. <laughs> uh, I am, um, happy New Year to everyone out there listening, too. And just a quick reminder, we are part of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com. Check out all the podcasts they have to offer they have some exciting stuff going on in 2022 you don't want to miss it check it out today um we lost a great recently and mitch and i wanted to pay respects to the great uh, director peter bogdanovich and we chose to do so by discussing a movie that he himself called my personal favorite amongst all my pictures and that is the film they all laughed. Let me, um, uh, I'm sure most tuning in uh, do know what they all laughed is, but if you don't, it is the 1983 romantic comedy. Uh, as the story goes, the employees of New York City's Odyssey Detective Agency can't seem to prevent themselves from getting overinvolved in their clients' lives. When Agent Gumshoe, John Russo, played by the outstanding, also late, uh, Ben Gazzara, is assigned to trail an Italian millionaire's wife, Angela, played by Audrey Hepburn. I love her so much. She, he uh, inevitably falls for her uh, continental charm. Um, but uh, what else we got going on in this movie? His partner, Charles, played by a young John Ritter, is also unable to keep his hands off the woman he's trailing, a winsome cheating spouse named Dorothy. That's played by Dorothy Stratton. Um, what a unique beast of a movie we're here to talk about. And, and it is funny thinking about all his films that he does consider this his best, even, you know, when you think about how the movie was initially received and a bunch of stuff we'll get into. But uh, any opening thoughts, Mitch, on this this film? They all laugh. Well, I I think I would have never found this thing. I was I saw a YouTube video where uh, Peter Bogdanovich and Wes Anderson were talking about it, and it just sounded so interesting and you couldn't stream it and it wasn't on YouTube or maybe I just wanted to have, I had to buy a DVD of it and I was so excited. And, you know, upon my first viewing, the thing that I just remember was being so just really um, intrigued, but also totally confused in the beginning. I just <laughs> like what the situation was. And I felt like I just had to let go and just like let it be and watch it. But it's a very... You know, it's it's a movie that has its own language and such a rare type of, of uh, film. It's such a rare type of experience to watch where it's such a, it, you know, it's, it's New York in the 1980s, but it's also like very, I mean, there's there's Times Square and stuff, but there's a lot of places that you don't recognize as New York. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't have thought they were there. It's, it's, it's beautiful in that way. Um, so... I just, found, I just found it to be, you know, I think we were going to talk about something else today. And I mentioned that, or when Peter Bogdanovich died, I mentioned to you that you should yeah. check out the films on YouTube when we you know, got to do this. So. It's He did describe it. And um, the, I got that line where he described it as his 
favorite amongst all his films from that Wes Anderson that is on YouTube. People should really check it out. And the reason he said that it was so, um, you know, uh, you know, that it was his favorite is because it was the most like me is what he said. And he's like, my sense of humor, it's, um, you know, it's very romantic. It's urban. New York was his hometown. Um, and he was crazy in love with all the women in the film. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that shows, I mean, the movie really, really gets into, um, you know, it's a bunch of womanizers running around and, yeah, you know, yeah. the, 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 the women are just such strong, um, amazing, uh, uh, characters in their own right and they end up kind of uh, taking the ball back at the end but um this movie's so fascinating and it's impossible to talk about it without talking about real life because i've never seen art and uh life intertwined in this way it's unbelievable yeah. and that's maybe why he was describing it as most personal i mean things that were happening in their lives he was taking them and putting right on the screen i mean right down to the fact that before this film, uh, Ben Gazzara and Audrey Hepburn were having a huge affair. He was, yeah. um, Peter was in love with uh, uh, um, Dorothy, who ended up, I mean, we, I mean, we can get right to the heart of the matter. She ended up getting, um, uh, Dorothy Stratton ended up getting murdered soon after, after their affair. And it was, I mean, it was, it's just so much of what was going on in real life. He was putting it, I mean, <laughs> down to the point where Russo's kids were, um, and I love the interaction between uh, Russo and his kids, especially in the beginning, the way he talked to him, it was such a precocious thing. But, you know, those were Bogdanovich's kids. I mean, Audrey Hepburn's kids were in it. There was so much of what, what was going on in, in Peter's life and Ben's life and Audrey's life that was just being written up and thrown into this movie. Yeah, I mean, the the murder obviously sort of happens as a result of the film being made and Absolutely. the affair that Bogdanovich is having with Dorothy Stratton, though I think maybe he denied it you know, or, or you know, had a different uh, point of view on it, but it, that seemed to be one of whatever other things that they were had going on with them. Mm -hmm. um, but to what you're saying is that it is a film that's written where you're taking things from other people's lives and you're putting them in even the, uh, I think that he talks about the, um, what is the guy's name with the crazy hair? That's Ar like, Ar Arthur Radley. Yeah. And he's Play sort of got played the, by the Blaine Novak. He's playing by Blaine Novak. Yeah. He's yeah. got the weird dialogue about the bop and the bebop and the, <laughs> the pre-bop and the post-bop. And I still don't quite know what that means though. I assume it means sex, but like, you it know, does. that he just took that straight from it. And he was my favorite character. Um, that's how, I mean, but Peter said that's how he, that guy, that is how Blaine is in real life. Yeah. So he's just like, go be you. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I just think that's the way to do it. And the way yeah. he talks about how he, he, he casts people to be themselves. And that's really, you know, that's sort of right on to me. You know, that's, you don't necessarily write characters. You write the people, you find these people and you find something for them to to do as themselves. I think really Wasn't cool. it really interesting to see, and especially thinking of Wes's films, and how fun is that interview? And I know we'll probably touch I love back that interview, yeah. It's so good. We'll touch back to it a couple of times because they, they brought up some great, great ideas that we'll dive into. But they did talk about writing for certain actors. And you can obviously tell in Wes's films that that he did that. And, you know, it's something Peter did. And what a, what a tool to have, just like knowing the exact voice knowing exactly how it's going to be delivered by the things. And I thought that was really, really interesting. This uh, 
this movie's about a detective agency, but it's it's worth noting, like that is that is literally just the send up. That is like it's just yeah. it's like he. I mean he. I mean Peter he said, said he never went to a detective agency or researched it. That <laughs> yeah, he's like I. I didn't do any research about detectives. I never went to a detective's office, but that didn't even matter to me. Uh, that's not what it was about. It was just a disguise to hang my hat on, and it was just he just wanted to tell these stories about love and about New York, and that's I mean, it's um, it's it's it is a love letter to New York. It it yeah. truly it truly is, and and. Um, yeah, it's uh, in that interview, there's something I, I was really struck by. He talks about how Hitchcock said, when you know, when you take someone somewhere, meaning take them to a city here, they took them to New York. He's like, show them around, be specific. And this does, this really does it. There's a, I went to a Hitchcock exhibit once um, somewhere in one of the art, um, you know, museums here in New York. And I just got lost reading. They had a bunch of his old letters. And they were letters of him writing to people he knew and he was trying to get research. Uh, he was so specific about his sets that he would send a letter, say if he was doing a homosexual man in New York, he'd send a, a letter to a friend who had, you know, can you go by John's and can you tell me exactly everything on his bookshelf? Can you tell me like what his apartment looks like to a T? It was just like that type of specificity. Just, I yeah. just always think about that, but it is like you were whisked around in New York and you mentioned it earlier and you felt like you weren't at times, but I think, think that is because they were taking us not just to New York, not just to Times Square, but like in it, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the beginning to me was sort of a New York. I didn't quite know. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess it could have been Red Hook maybe or South Street. No, that's the, uh, it's on 34th Street. If you go all the way to the end, there's a hel oh. helicopter landing right there. I live close. That's the only reason I know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, 34th yep. on in Chelsea or Hell's Kitchen, you mean? The other, the, the other side is actually on the, uh, the east side. There's a okay. big hella landing right over there. And so you're just seeing Brooklyn on oh. the other side. Oh, wow. It's tucked but there. But it's, but, yeah, yeah, that was the... Uh, FDR going up right when they got off oh, they got okay. right after the FDR yeah yeah it's, I mean it's such a strange way to begin the film <laughs> and if you really think about it you know uh like really nothing there's no dialogue in the beginning yeah. and you're you really literally have to stop and say okay this guy just talked to this guy uh -huh. so they could be <laughs> friends now this guy now it's talking to Ben Gazzara mm -hmm. so Ben Gazzara knows this guy but does he know the other guy I yeah. don't think he does also, who's this taxi driver lady? Do they know each other? Because they're really, you know, they're really comfortable with, you, with each other really quickly. Are they joking that, or do they really know each other and they're playing again? He, he, you're left with so many questions because it moves so fast. And I think Ben Gazar is sort of a centerpiece of how fast it moves. Mm. He's so great at the one line comebacks and, you know, the, the way he would just flirt with the cab driver and always had, always had a response and, I always had something to say, and the movie just sort of breezes through his dialogue to a certain extent and his coolness. It becomes a cool movie uh, through his his confidence and swagger, uh, you know, uh, his whatever whatever he had that made him so great. Yeah, he said um, he wanted to make a movie with no dialogue um, uh, for a while. And that, I mean, that's what he did in the beginning there. And it, that was inspired by the film Rio Bravo. And that's another line okay. from um, that interview. But you're right. There's so much action. And he, it's, it's, um, 
it's I mean, I'd like to get into the style a little bit and just because it's so stylized in that way. There was not only was there no dialogue in that point, but there were so many points where uh, and I'm, I know I'm going to get way into the music here in a little bit, but like where songs were allowed to breathe or scenes felt yeah. like we were allowed to kind of uh, just just uh, take place for a while before, like just as you were pointing out where you you're figuring things out and you're seeing who's there, what's going on. And they're allowed to breathe in this way that that just feels so organic and natural and just different than what I'm used to. Everything's so, you know, kind of pointed at these days or just, I mean, in most films. I mean, this is a unique stylistic choice. Yeah, I mean, if you watch a movie today and you miss something, you just rewind. Somebody says the thing you missed and you're like, okay, they're going there because of this. And then it's clear. Everything in our in our language of film these days you can tell what's going to happen from the first minute of the movie you can say well everyone's going to show up at the end and it's going to be a big party or whatever because <clears throat> every beat along the way i was watching a show this weekend and uh it's my favorite show so i don't want to name it and like say something negative but <clears throat> well it's righteous gemstones i was watching righteous gemstones i love me i'm so excited it's back so excited but they 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 go to uh, they go to this person's house because they were like you know let's go talk to him yeah. and then they were like hey the door is open hey are you there and you know the guy you know the guy's gone you know yeah this this film does not have any of those clues in it in its communication to you or in it or its its plot points or it it doesn't give you any of these types of unspoken rules that you have you have to really you have to really dig in and do your homework to understand <laughs> why people feel a certain way yep. um, there's even a scene where um the uh oh man tell me one more name time the skater this his name in the oh movie. In, in the film arthur. it was arthur so arthur comes to the detective agency and then the waitress is in the window mm-hmm. and then he like ducks under and then they say his name and then she sees him and runs. I I swear I had to rewind that three times to get that they had a relationship, and, you know, because of the movies today you can watch without looking at the screen. Yeah. You, can, yeah. you can be on your phone and know what's going on in the movie yep. without looking up. Everything is just, there's a rhythm. Mm-hmm. This film you have, if you, if you look away for one second, you're, because it's so visual. You yeah. Know? No question. No question about that. And I mean, there was so many relationships. I mean, there was this wild intertwined web of relationships. And, you know, there's times I was trying to figure out who was involved with who. And, you know, there was times where they were probably involved with each other at some point. And yeah. it was, you know, it just made so much sense to me why um, Wes was influenced by him. Just looking at uh, the, uh, the nature of some of these unique characters. And I, Quentin has said the same thing that, um, you know, what Peter has meant to him and everything like that. But the styles are so different from like what Wes Anderson does to the yeah. style of this film, which is like, just make it happen and do it yep. with what you got. And like, you know, they talk about, you know, the behind the scenes production was often just like a short film type of crew, the kind uh-huh. of thing you do with your friends on a weekend and that kind of stuff. But with, with, Audrey Hepburn, yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty crazy. And ben, I mean, think how big Ben was at that point. And yeah, yeah you can tell that it's like a, a smaller product. I mean, those aren't extras walking around the city around them. Like that's the, the city's happening yeah. around them. That's, I mean, that's lends itself to the organic feel of everything. One of the things that really struck me right off the bat was the stylistic use of music. 
and initially there was you know kind of just the sound was uh more just cityscapes you're hearing the helicopter because it was a, a helicopter but when the cab rolls up initially the music came with the cab and it, it, it wafted in and out when you were in the cab you were hearing the music because she was listening to music and then when you know the scene shifted to another place the music went away and i just love that they were playing with that but what we came upon right away was uh music i've never associated with the city and that's country music yeah and apparently that was like that moment in time country yeah. was really big in the city and that's one another the great thing about this movie is you I don't didn't. know these things it's no. like a genuine <laughs> you didn't know about it that i mean how surprising is that? And, and he mentioned there was a short, very short, very brief vogue of country music in New York. And he describes it as about 30 seconds. And he's like, so initially, um, the singer in it, um, she was supposed to be a jazz singer. But he was so taken by this moment that was happening in New York. Again, it was just kind of a flash in the pan. But he changed it. He liked country music a lot. He fell in love with it. Uh, on the last picture show is what he said. And he incorporated it in and it becomes a huge part of it. I mean, when I mentioned they were they were spending, you know, scenes were elongated. With, I, I love so much when a, when a band's playing and they show the band and they let the band, they let the music live. And it, I, I, I think the reason I love it, A, because I love music, but also it sets the tone. It sets the feel. And you just you're put there and you're with them. And that you happened multiple times in that bar. You can totally imagine that atmosphere. Yeah, it's an atmosphere that you didn't really, I didn't personally experience a country Definitely. bar. In, Definitely. Or, I think know. if you take the time to soak in a scene, to soak in that moment, you're in it in a different way than just boom, you're there. And so I just, I I think it's my reaction to a lot of movies. Um, and I'm not, I don't, when I say things like that, I, I love movies today. I've, I've been blown away by the movies I've watched this year. I just, you hear a lot about it, everything switching to television. I've, I've watched about 10 films already. I've been really binging. <laughs> Omicron's got me binging. I just watched Pig today. Pig with Nicolas Cage. It floored me. It absolutely floored me. But uh, I, I digress. I, what I'm saying is I don't... I, when I'm talking about the patience of 70s films, I'm trying not to take away from the kind of the fast-paced <laughs> action and very methodical things. I, You know, they're both good is what I'm saying. But I love when uh, filmmakers, when directors are patient. And they let, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I know, you know, more people, you know, the ADD type uh, 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 need everything now type thing. And I get it. Momentum of films matter, but when you let it breathe, it means something to me. I, I love it. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, our brains are so um, wired differently that this is one of those movies that's really going to, force you to to see things in a different way yeah uh, think about it mitch watch things in a different way think about it me and you both love i mean uh, uh older films we watch a lot of older films and then especially yeah. like, like late 70s early 80s we both made comments to ourselves uh to each other that this this took a little bit to get into like it's yeah. it's, it's 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 a different I mean, feel first, yeah i watched the first third of it in one session and the rest of it in a second session because it's work i mean yeah. <laughs> it isn't the fault of i don't think it's the fault of the movie it's the fault of time we we're just wired for like a certain communication and this is a yeah. different language altogether but I, I i guess i'm sort of a bit of a i don't know archaeologist at heart and mm -hmm. this and what and 
reading books from like 70 or 80 years ago was interesting to me, but like watching a movie that's, that's from 1980, I mean, I was alive then, you know, yeah. but to look back at a movie that wasn't a really a Hollywood film, it's really different. It's a really a different type of look back than if you were watching like Arthur or mm -hmm. Amadeus or something that's yeah. very, really unique and really great, but like still with the uh, common language that we understand. This is a an art film, in my opinion, yes. probably not attempting to be an art film, but it was made by an auteur yep. that has first a point of view and it couldn't help but be a little bit different. Um, so it's, you know, it's hard to talk to people about things that are that are going to be harder to watch, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. I, the day I texted you, I texted uh, our buddy Paul Gakowski and, and a few other people, you know, and, and uh, you know, well, can I ask you that? Um, uh, Paul's the biggest Ben Gazzara um, aficionado I know in the world. And yeah. has he had, had he seen it? He hadn't seen it yet. So I'd actually like to have um, him, me and you have a discussion on this podcast, a big discussion about Ben. Um, and just just because I, I know he feels and just like the movies. I mean, I I, I got into Ben. I was um, Buffalo 66 is one of my favorite films I've ever seen. And I've ever seen, I knew, you know, I've seen a couple of films of him before, but like, he just took me. And that was his old, that was like kind of towards the end of his career, towards the end of his life. And just digging back from there, uh, I like, he's such a unique superstar to me. You know, you, you can understand James Dean. You can understand so many people you go through and you're like, wow, Ben was huge. And he was kind of like, when you look at him, it just doesn't compute in the same way as, as leading men throughout time but the 70s was a different beast and yeah. it's it's unique who was able to really thrive in that in that culture at that time well was he like one of the biggest i mean names out there at that time or was especially he for for um you know these type of directors to work with he was, okay. he was sought after by you know uh, maybe not the biggest names, but the, the ones that would take take more chances ben ben yeah. was in the real house for sure well, I, talking about Paul, he was uh, he was the one who got me on the killing of a Chinese bookie, which I'd never uh -huh. seen. Uh -huh. Like that, yep. just like I mean, that's a killer right there. You know, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. This this guy is an understated, unsung hero. I mean, I mean, not to um, you know go into any sort of uh, um, you know off screen uh, fodder, but I mean the fact that he's 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 spending time with Audrey Hepburn kind of uh, kind of mentions his status yeah. status off the screen. And I do want to mention this to listeners just to focus just how unique this story is. This kind of behind the scenes situation with the murder murder of Dorothy Stratton and the relationships of Audrey and Ben and just everything going on with Peter involved with Dor Dorothy like. This was a big, big story. They made a movie about it. Uh, it's called Star 80, which is about everything that happened with Dorothy's murder being, she was actually murdered by her estranged husband and manager. And it is after, you know, uh, she had an affair with Peter and, and, and being involved in this film. Um, and even the story of this whole film uh, being together. I mean, Peter went ahead and wrote a book about it. It's called The Killing of the Unicorn. And it just, he wrote a whole book about everything that surrounds the making of this film too i mean he went bankrupt for this film a, 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 a very successful he had a huge hit on his hand 
director when they 20th century fox pulled the film's release um they they tested in a couple <laughs> i hate those testing groups they like it's they it just always shows like it's become such a cult hit and so important but there was three cities where they tested it and 20th century fox heard from those people and they just were like no and so he had to release it use all his money to do it and he he went bankrupt pretty much because of it I mean, that's how much I, mean, yeah, I guess about. it was a, a complicated film even then, you know, yeah. even in that time. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, the, true. I mean, that's 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 dedication. And, uh, you know, he uh, I mean, this guy's not without stories. I mean, the stuff with him and Orson Welles is yeah. crazy. Where Orson yep. Welles lived with him and the stories he tells about that whole situation is a whole other podcast that we could probably do but it's uh it's it's um anyone who listens to mark maron's podcast he did a great interview with him this uh peter's story is remarkable he did he started as a critic he was just and he started as critic uh you know just like me and you loving films loving talking about it loving writing about it and just worked his way and then one day just decided to move out to hollywood and kind of you know edge his way in there and just you know caught all the breaks and everything but it started with a love of film and that's just I, I just love stories that start with that and just worked his worked his way in. Um, let's talk a little bit about cinematography because um, Robbie Mueller. Am I saying it right? Mueller, I believe I am. He's just he's a so boss. Awesome. He's um he's a cinematographer here. He um it's worked so much with Jim Jarmusch, especially towards uh towards the end of Jim, Jim Jim's you know his most famous films. He did Down by Law, Mysterious Train. Uh, Dead Man, Coffee and Cigarettes, even Ghost Dog, but he's also worked a lot with Lars von Trier. Um, he's just worked with a lot of like art tours, and um, he just, I think he just did an amazing job. And one of the scenes, and it's again to mention uh, the West interview again, that kind of exemplifies how well this was shot was there's this scene where John Ritter, I want to mention, we should talk about John a little bit, young John yeah, Ritter. Yeah. We, can't, yeah. we, can't, we can't pass a young John Ritter up, but he's running into the courthouse and 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 this Wes uh, breakdown, they, they talk about all the angles they use and how they created momentum through the whole thing. And it's just shot uh, yeah, patiently, but then deliberately at times. It's 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 got the grit of New York, but then it also has the glamour and and different ways inside. It's it's a really well well shot movie for many reasons. Well, just on a technical level, you know, <clears throat> I just marvel at all these night scenes that they pulled off. I mean, n- none of them really feel grainy or out of focus yeah. or anything. There's a scene uh, where John uh, Charlie uh, or Charles is is. Uh, spying across the street from Dorothy Stratton's apartment all night. Um, and that's just like, I, I can't even imagine how they lit that. You know, nowadays yeah. with digital cameras and such, you might have an easier time, but that's that's a pretty difficult um, lighting project uh, as well as uh, the skating rink has to have been just a really, I mean, not only are you dealing with the lighting, but you're going in circles. Uh, so how are you mapping this out and keeping the lights out of the way? Those are all technical things from, from an artistic standpoint. It just looks like New York, you know, and it yeah. just looks like what it's supposed to look like. It's minimal. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just sort of stripped down. And, um, you know, I can, I, can ima- I can understand why Jim Jarmusch and all these, you know, the dogma guys wanted to yeah. work. I wonder, I assume... Maybe even uh, 
I wonder if Harmony Kareem worked with them on some of his. I ran, I ran through. I ran through his list. It's vast, but it's but it's also it's just it's when you're going through the director's list, it's like it's, as much as you see director, I'm just like the freak artist, freak artist, freak artist. I mean, obviously, some of the real art film type people were turning yeah. uh, his way. Ritter, um, yeah, I'm gonna plead some ignorance, and I actually didn't do some research uh, at all here. Uh, just seeing, I mean, was this a, a breakout moment? Do you know for Ritter? It was just so fun to see. Like it's like had, was that the biggest star in the world? And this was at the height of three's company. Yeah, what is this? So this is eighty three. So he's coming from like that's that shows. Yeah. So, but uh, they he was really good friends with Peter Bogdanovich, uh-huh. and he, Bogdanovich just said, "I've got this movie. I think you can be the lead." And he literally said, "When do we start?" So this was. <laughs> You know, independent of of being a TV star, and yeah. it's shocking to see this film because this is the kind of film that you'd think would be made by someone who's only doing those kinds of films. You know, yeah. um, it's not. But but at the same time, Audrey Hepburn is in in this film, so she's got <laughs> yeah. these amazing. I don't know if mainstream is the word, but like Audrey Hepburn is a Hollywood. I mean, that's, that's the most, some of the most, that's almost as iconic as it gets. That's, yeah, you know, the top four or five uh, uh, act, actors ever. Yep. Uh, that's up there with James Dean and Marilyn Monroe. And then John Ritter is one of the biggest TV stars of all time. And, you know, his uh, just sort of clown-like character from Three's Company is, is in here in some ways, but it's also more human and more mm-hmm. soft and a lot more, uh, I mean, he's a little bit more likable of a character, a little bit more honest, but like- you Very vulnerable. That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. What I'm trying to say is it's different. There's a little yeah. bit of Jack Tripper in there, but it's also uh-huh. really different, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you really just had me thinking just how, you know, it, that's crazy that this film would lead to bankruptcy or anything. You, we're talking some of the biggest stars of television, some of the biggest stars ever yeah. in this film. It also shows how unique it is that it had to, you know, be a creeper to become, because it is a cult classic. There's just no question about it. It's, it's, yeah. it's something that's looked back at fondly, but was not taken that way initially, but it had the pedigree. It had, it had just everything. So thematically, you know, as much as, you know, the, it's it's kind of left to to exist in its own way and just be taken in a lot of different ways. I mean, to me, um, and I want to ask you the same thing, like what type of themes, what type of takeaways you're getting from the film? It's, uh, you know, first off, it's just a fun film and just seeing these people work together and seeing that relationships are messy, love is messy, um, these ideas of secret love and everything. And I mean, also like love doesn't end well for most people. I mean, we have one happy ending with um, Dolores and Char- Charles, but uh, it was just, you know, it, it, uh, the, if I were to pinpoint themes and you don't have to think, th- you know, films don't need to, but like, it was, it was just kind of a love is messy. It's, you know, we, we bounce off each other's, we inhabit each other's world for a little bit. We give each other something that we might need at the point and, you know, maybe, we you know that doesn't mean it needs to stay i don't know i was thinking a lot about relationships because some of those moments people were having were pretty romantic pretty heartfelt but at the same time we're looking at womanizers or or, or 
you know, uh, women who are cheating on their husbands, you know, it's just messy. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that uh, the statement about that is that, you know, what I think he's trying to say is that love exists in small doses or, you know, short-term romances, long-term types of things. And there's a tone here that they talk about where, you know, even though all these things happen where in real life, there, there could be consequences or negativity or violence in this world, you know, everybody sort of gets along. No one's really mad at each other, that mad at each other, you know, and it's sort of, it sort of suggests a world where some, some good things happen. Maybe people get their heart broken. Uh, Maybe people end up together, but like everybody sort of, everybody sort of deals with it a little better. I mean, everyone just sort of is friends at the end, you know, and everyone's friends very quickly in this film. They meet each other and they're instantly walking and talking together. And I I just think the tone of this film and the the sort of endings with these affairs and romances and some of them work out, some of them don't, they just sort of suggest the the fleeting nature of love to a certain, some of it can be like a fire that, that is intense and burns out quickly. Some, you know, sometimes it can be different, but it, it it's a almost like a weird version of any of uh, uh, what am I trying to think of? Love, uh, the British actually, love actually, love it's actually, like, yeah, you know, the type of statements that that are being made in that film, you know, no, uh, no, maybe eighties version of that. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. I love um. I love how he he talks about that that moment and he, he just had, had me thinking about it when um you know the three girls who you know were in your mind as a viewer you're thinking the cab driver Audrey and the country singer um are competing and when they get together <laughs> at the end and they're getting along it's just awesome like it's like they're kind of taking the wall yeah, fighting and yeah. like the one moment where that plays out to me a lot is where Ben uh, takes Audrey Hepburn or uh, Angela back to his apartment. And when they get there, cab driver's there. Yep. And rather than her being really taken back by the moment, she just stays in her groove. She's like, I'm writing a note right now. And it it wasn't somebody, it wasn't like she was holding it in. She was going to scream later. She was just, she was just chill. Good. You know, we're all just living. the my my favorite part by far is is the way she reacts at the end when Ben gets in um John I should call him gets in gets in gets in the car and you know he's kind of been lumped up a little bit by all Audrey is leaving you know the the person he cares about it's it's Angela at that point is leaving um and she goes you know let's go over the Brooklyn Bridge and raise some hell and she looks at him and that had doesn't really fire him up yet and she's like. She looks at him and she goes, you know, you got some splinters, don't you, Johnny? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, cheer up, boss, you know, let's go get drunk. And just like her attitude. And once again, the music starts because you're in the cab and they do the stylistic music thing. And I just, she just like, just her attitude and just her everything was just awesome to me. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I love, I love that final act. I love the, all of those, you know, Rooster's girls kind of getting along. I loved yeah. Charles uh, having his moment with Dorothy. I mean, you know, the, the one of their best scenes is the gum out of their mouth kiss scene. Just, I really liked them together. That was like, if you could almost root for one that that really worked out was maybe it was probably that, but like it was a, 
at the end of the day, it was a circular story too. It started where it ended too. It started on that helipad and it came full circle around that way. And, and it just, it's, it's as haphazard as it found it, it found feeling wise that it was at certain times when it came back full circle like that, I'm like, wow, this is, they, you know, nailed it. Yeah. Uh, and even the, uh, the, the other thing that she says to him is she said, Angel, I thought you could use some cheering up. That's not exact word for word, but she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the fact that Angela, it seems like she encouraged her to be his rebound or, or uh-huh. you know, in some way, or be there to pick up the pieces or something yeah. to that effect. Um, you know, and uh, you know, just the fact that everyone's thinking about each other and everything. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Not to change the subject, but Audrey Hepburn's fashion sense in this is also just... <laughs> it's amazing. Absolutely. I'm just blown away by that. Yeah. It's, 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 it, it feels like, I mean, we're getting a different Aubrey in this too. You know, it's, it's, it feels, I don't know. The whole thing feels risky and, 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 yeah. and artsy in a different way. And then just, uh, I think we can go back to it again and again, that this thing is, and I, I use this word in, in the best of ways, it's such a unique piece of art and just made me feel different. I hadn't seen anything like it in a while. I haven't, I haven't experienced that. I, I, I just, it's, it's one of those movies that there's, it makes so much sense to me that it took so long for it to become this, this, looked at this way because I know for a fact that I'm going to be looking at it in, in uh, uh, the light that I have upon it's going to grow and grow and grow. And I'm, I'm, I can see myself throwing this on time and time again and sitting with it and being comfortable with it and just loving it more and more as time goes on. Well, you know, it's not a, it's not a cliche in terms of how, how it all plays out or the making of it, the music. And that probably was to its detriment. It probably yep. wasn't, it probably didn't feel familiar familiar to the studios. It probably didn't feel familiar to like the audiences. They probably were like, I'm not quite sure I understand the vibe here. But for the people who pick it up 40, 50, ultimately 50, uh, you know, years later, 40 years later, we're the lucky ones who there's no pressure. We just get to enjoy it and just be like, this is this is this thing exists, you know. It's yeah. a it's a, it's a relic, uh, a sort of timepiece of a weird time in New York City. Uh-huh. It's also a fable. It doesn't it isn't sort of totally real. There, there probably weren't even real detective agencies, or they probably weren't zany at all. They were probably <laughs> mysterious, and they they may not have had a glass door with like an actual paint like sign painting <laughs> you know they might have just been like really serious places with coffee everywhere and and the person that worked there didn't wasn't interested in love or whatever but um we got we get to have this sort of weird thing um and all this stuff's out there that's that's what, what's really fun about you know it's great when we talk about the new stuff because right now we really need these type we really need original movies because there's no room for them right now with fewer and fewer people getting into theaters i myself am 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 making a choice not to go into theaters when there's licorice pizza that's out there and all these things that i I desperately want uh to to champion in and i'm unfortunately making those choices and so it's going to be more and more 
uh, you know, big, big, big films that are that that have the ability to handle uh, getting people in the marketing and everything. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is, we we want to talk about those films, but I love these opportunities to say, hey, there's this one sitting around that you just it's it's new to you if you haven't seen it, and it's really out there, and you're gonna sort of be exposed to something new, you know. You got to dig in the vault and it's just amazing the treasures that are in that vault. I've heard people talk about uh, our show and they're like, you know, it's fun. It's like you guys will just get really, really heady and d- dig in a film like this. And then you're just like, we'll go all in on Baby Yoda. And that's what we do. That's what we do here. And welcome to the party, pal. Peter is a stunning, stunning filmmaker. And uh there's no way I thought about, you know, trying to sit down and talk about all his films. They're so unique. They're yeah. so well done. And uh, the best we could do was just to sit down and, and talk about one that he really described that was him through and through. And it meant, you know, a lot to him to that this film was in time getting a lot of love. So we just want to give some praise to, a great, great filmmaker, a really unique film. Uh, and just, just thank you, Peter, for all your work you've done. It's, it's, it's such a gift. Yeah, a wonderful character of cinema, a wonderful uh, sort of voice to be out there making movies uh, during my entire life up until yeah. last week. And, uh, you know, we, we lose these people and we lose something that we never get back, but we always have the films that they made. and. Uh, we're we're uh, we're very lucky for that. Treasure the filmmakers, uh, you know, that we have now, because because you never know how long it'll last. Thank you, Mitch. One bit of trivia for this. It. Drop it. We've got one great cameo in this film. Joyce Heiser, who starred in Just One of the Guys in 1985. <laughs> you know this film at all? Uh, yeah, just well, I know Just One of the Guys. Of course, it's it's yes. Yeah. He's, she's one of the roller girls. Oh, no that, way. Yes, she she is. I, I mean, that's a lot. That's a big difference between 81, 80. I think they shot in 80 and she's playing a high schooler in 85. Yeah. It was like a 20 year old in 80 when that was, you know, she seemed like someone in her mid 20s. So, oh, but yes. That's she, amazing. This, you know what? That It takes, um, my mind's real funny with they all laughed. I can't. I don't have it in 83 in my mind. Like when you mentioned that and you're talking about a film in 85, it, it, one I know, a comedy I really, really know. It's such a 70s film for me, like the grain, the New York. There's something about it that I can't, I can't compute it in 83. Yeah. Which is wild. I mean, they're shot in, I think it shot in 80. So, you know, yeah. it's more or less a, still a 70s yeah. movie. Yeah, I like the trivia. I like the trivia. Um, thank you, Mitch. We, I'm sure we'll be back here talking about something real soon. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, everybody out there, for once again joining the party. Lord and Mary took to running with the traveling man, left her mama crying with her head in her hand. Such a sad case, so broken hearted. She said, Mama, I gotta go, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of town. I'm tired of hanging around, I gotta roll on. Between the ditches It's just an ordinary story About the way things goes Around and around Nobody knows But the highway Goes on forever That old highway
Lord, she never would have done it if she hadn't got drunk, if she hadn't started running with the traveling man, if she hadn't started taking those crazy chances. She said, daughter, let me tell you about the traveling kind. Everywhere is going such a very short time. It'd be long gone before you know it. You'll be long gone before you know it. Never ever known it when it felt so good. Never ever knew it when I knew I could. Never ever done it when it looked so right. Leaving Louisiana in the broad daylight. This is down in the swamp land where anything goes. Alligator bait and the bars don't close. It's a real thing down in Louisiana. Now, did you ever see a Cajun when he really got mad? When he really got trouble like a daughter gone bad? It gets real hot down in Louisiana. And now the stranger better move it or he's gonna get killed. He's gonna have to get it or a shotgun will. It ain't no time for lengthy speeches. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.